0: You guys have just taken my breath away and left me speechless. And those of you that know me, that's not an occurrence that happens very often. (laughs) We are just absolutely thrilled and delighted to be here. We have looked forward to coming since we pulled into the state. The first place we came was here. Uh, Before we went to Lexington, we the state, we I forget even how we came, but it was somewhere through Indiana, came across the bridge and came straight here to uh, spend some time with Rob and Donna before going down to Lexington. And they are precious to us. Everything he said was true. When we get back together with them, it's like we've never been parted. And we are so thankful that God called us to Kentucky for their friendship being here, your church being here, I've watched you on the uh, of the streaming things. I've kept up with you on Facebook and on Instagram, and we are just thrilled with what the Lord is doing here. How He has put His hand on this church, and the anointing that is here, and the ministry that's taking place. We rejoice with you and bless you and pray for you, and thank you so much for all you're doing in your community, and and for the, the glory of the Lord. I wanted to take this opportunity to invite you, especially all of the ladies, to a women's rally that we're going to be having on October the 18th. It's called Faith, Fire, and Freedom. We have Pastor Rhea Roseco that's coming, and this is hosted by the General, uh, the General Executive Committee Wives. They're coming. It's a big thing. It's not just our state, but it's the states that are surrounding us. But I want to fill our tabernacle up with Kentucky women so that everybody else has to stand around or that we have to pull chairs out for them. I want to fill that tabernacle up with our Kentucky women and I am trusting the Lord that he is going to pour his spirit out that night and do some wonderful things there's just something special about it when women get together and they worship the Lord and I am so looking forward to this on October the 18th and it's just an hour and I would love to have all of you come and be a part of that in that worship set session it's a uh, starts at seven o'clock There's no charge. There's no registration. Just come and enjoy the presence of the Lord with us. Thank you all so much.
1: Good morning. I'm uh, looking around here, and I'm noticing things. I'm noticing a clock back there. It's a very interesting clock. On one side, it tells me it's 11.15 a.m. On the other side, it appears to be a, a timer <laughs> that I'm guessing somebody back there is going to turn on when I start preaching. <clears throat> I rebuke that clock right now. It is uh, it is a delight to be with you today. We've been looking forward, as Alice said, to coming and being with you. Um, we appreciate all the kind words Pastor Rob had to say. Uh, we definitely love Rob and Donna very, very much and have many, many stories to tell. Some good, and then there's some other kind, uh, But the wonderful thing about Rob and Donna Baker is not only are they multi-talented and gifted and experienced in many, many ways, as I know you've already discovered over the last nine years that he's been here as your pastor, but they are also people of integrity and compassion. They are genuine and they are real. I've seen a lot of people that are highly gifted and talented, can preach wonderfully, do incredible music, leap tall buildings with a single bound, but they don't live too good. And they don't walk too straight. But I'm thankful that Rob and Donna Baker are people of integrity, as well as giftedness and talent. And uh, I know that you love them very, very much. And we honor them together. Could you just let your pastors know how much you love them, care about them? (laughs) After some of the things he said this morning, I did whisper to him when I came up that lying is grounds for revocation. I want to share a song with you today Um, that goes along with what I want to share from the Word. It talks about how God takes care of us in difficult times, uh, in stormy weather.
2: Tender, they're leading me in the paths that I must walk. I'll have no fear, for Jesus, He walks beside me. And I am sheltered safe within the arms of God. So let the storms rage high. Let the strong winds blow. Now they don't worry me for I'm sheltered with the- God. soon I shall hear the call from heaven's portals. Come home, my child, it's the last mile you must walk.
1: Just before uh, I uh, take a few moments to, to share the word today, I, I just want to give you an invitation. Uh, Alice and I, for many, many years, have been blessed to lead lots of mission trips all around the world, take a lot of folks, a lot of places, and uh, do a lot of good for the kingdom. But we've also, uh, down through the years, led trips uh, to Israel. And this fall, uh, November 5 through 15, we're leading a trip to Israel from Kentucky. Uh, We're just about out of time for people to sign up, but it's still time to get in. And uh, if you've ever wanted to go to Israel, dreamed about going to Israel, never been able to go to Israel, and would like to go to Israel, we'd love for you to go, go with us. Um, we've been many, many times and uh, love helping people experience the land of the Bible. Uh, We've got it priced out of Lexington, Cincinnati, and the price out of Cincinnati is also good, I I believe, out of Louisville. They'll actually make connections for you in Louisville. Um, There's all kinds of things I could tell you. I could show you thousands of pictures, uh, but the best thing I could say to you about the way going to Israel will impact you is you will never read the Bible the same way again. You will see it in pictures. When we take you to the valley of Elah where David slew Goliath and I get you out of the bus and I stand you in a dry creek bed, everybody will want to pick up five rocks to bring home. And I show you where the Philistines were and the Israelites were it's like you were there 3,000 years ago. When we get you in a boat on the Sea of Galilee, and I stop the boat in the middle of the lake, and we have a, a brief devotional service and a prayer service, all the stories that happened around that lake, in fact, I'm going to preach about one of those here in just a minute, will come to life for you. We've seen people bring their unsaved siblings, brothers and sisters, on these trips and there's something about that boat. They get saved on the boat, and then we take them to the Jordan River and baptize them. We had a Nazarene lady that went on a trip with us once when I was pastoring in Indianapolis, and uh, she and her Baptist neighbor, they, they saw our trip advertised somewhere, and, and they signed up, and they came to an informational meeting, orientation meeting. They didn't know we were Pentecostal. And when they first met us, they, they looked at one another and they thought, well, we're going we're to get our monies back. But they stayed through the meeting, and after the meeting, they, they told us later that, well, you don't, all didn't seem too weird, so we went ahead and went anyway. <laughs> Nazarene lady was very, very ill, and she got healed on the boat, miraculously healed. The Baptist lady, we're in the upper room. Rob, and uh, we're singing in there, great acoustics in there, and uh, singing Holy Spirit songs. And as we go out, that Baptist lady grabbed me by the arm. She said, I felt something in there while we were singing. We came back. She started coming to our church on Sunday night, went to her church Sunday morning, got filled with the Holy Ghost. <laughs> uh, so I'm just telling you, these trips to Israel are life-changing. Um, so if you're interested, if you've got any interest at all, I'm happy to talk with you after service. I'll be out there in the foyer. I've got a few applications. Like I said, time's just about run out uh, to sign up, but there's still time to get in, and we'd love to have uh, anyone here go with us uh, that would like to. Over the, the last um, 14, 15 years, we've seen some of the most uh, horrific natural disasters in the history of the United States or the world, uh, like Hurricane Katrina devastating New Orleans and the Mississippi Gulf Coast, earthquake in Haiti, the tsunami that came through Japan. Who can forget those aerial pictures of the water just rolling in off the ocean? horrible tornadoes, some of the worst tornadoes I can ever remember in my lifetime, like this one that destroyed a two-mile-wide swath of Joplin, Missouri. Earthquake in Nepal, we actually had a missions team over there one year before this earthquake happened, Uh, so this was very, very stirring to us when this happened. And then you've got all these other hurricanes like Irma and all of, uh, all of these hurricanes that have come through over the last few years, New Jersey, Florida, as well as Southeast Texas. And all of, these, all of these disasters, all of these storms, have got me to thinking about stormy weather. And I want to talk to you today for a little while about what kind of God you need when you get in a storm. You'll go with me to the Gospel of Mark, please. Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 45. Mark 6, beginning in verse 45. The Scripture says, immediately Jesus made His disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of Him to Bethsaida, while He dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, He went up on the mountainside to pray. When evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and He was alone on the land he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. About the fourth watch of the night, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately, He spoke to them and said, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves because their hearts were hardened. Life's filled with all kinds of storms, storms, snowstorms, hailstorms, thunderstorms, monsoons, typhoons, tornadoes, hurricanes, earthquakes, lightning storms, and doubt storms. Sometimes they come to you when you're at work, sometimes when you're at home, sometimes when you're at school. Sometimes you can see them coming from a long way off and then sometimes they just seem to crop up out of nowhere. But there's one thing that's absolutely certain in life and that is that storms are going to come. You cannot get immunized against stormy weather. There's no place you can move that will allow you to avoid stormy weather. It's just part of living in the world we live in. So everybody has to learn how to deal with stormy weather. You've basically got two options. You you can be very David-like in your optimism. In the face of the biggest Goliath of a storm, you just figure, hey, it's weather, can't do anything about it. It'll be over in a little while. We'll get through it like we've always got through it. Everything will be okay. Or you could tend to be a little pessimistic. Now, you know, my wife Alice is one of the cheeriest people you'll ever meet. I mean, she's always up, always kind. Everybody loves Alice. Everybody loves Alice. For 43 years, I've heard it. Everybody loves Alice. Everybody loves her. And it's right. She is. She's wonderful. And she's she's upbeat and positive. But, you know, everybody don't live with Alice, but I do. (laughs) And there has been a time or two in our lives when cheery, upbeat, optimistic Alice was a little different. In 1985, we moved to Oklahoma City to be the state youth director in Oklahoma. We moved from Washington State. I get the truck unloaded, get the TV set up first. You've got to have your priorities in order, folks. You know, So I get the TV set up, and then I've got to leave on two weeks of home missions rallies all over Oklahoma. I'm going to be gone a week, come back a day or two, get fresh clothes, and go back out. So I'm gone out on these rallies, and I come back after being gone a week. Now, you know, I hoped that she would meet me at the door with a smile on her face and give me a big kiss, but that's not what she did. When I opened the front door, she met me. And she took that pretty little index finger of hers and pe- she poked it right in my nose and said, You see that closet right there? You see that closet? You see that coat closet right here in this foyer? we got to put a light in that closet. There's no light in that closet. And we need some pillows and blankets in that closet. Uh, and we need a radio, not just any kind of radio. We need a weather radio. And we got to have food in that closet. And we got to have bottled water in that closet. This is in the 80s. Nobody dreamed we'd be buying bottled water back then. I said, what in the world is wrong with you, woman? Uh, she said, the tornadoes are coming uh, and they're going to kill us. I said, what has got into you, Alice? I discovered the very first program that she watched on that television I hooked up was called Terrible Twisters. Anybody seen the movie Twister? There's a weatherman in that movie named Gary England. He's the guy that did this documentary. And so from then on, uh, for almost five years that we lived there, every time the bottom of the screen went beep, 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 Alice threw me, uh, our little girl, uh, and before long our baby boy in this little coat closet. I never did put a light in it. Now, I wouldn't have minded being in, my, in that closet with my wife in the dark if she'd give me a little sugar, but sugar wasn't on the agenda. We're going to die! The tornadoes are coming! Now, you see, people like that, you're the thorn in the side of every pastor, Sunday school teacher that's ever existed because, you see, you people ask, The hard questions. If God is really so good, why do I feel so bad? If God's word is really so clear, why do I get confused so easily? if we are really in the palm of the Father's hands uh, and He's got everything under control, uh, why do His people uh, have such gut-wrenching, terrible, awful problems that they have to deal with? Tough questions. Throw-in-the-towel kind of questions. Questions like these boys uh, in a boat uh, in the middle of a storm uh, on the Sea of Galilee must have been asking, Their questions were very simple. What kind of chance do we have of surviving this storm? Our questions center around where is God when my life gets stormy? Where is God when trouble weather comes to my marriage, to my family? Where is God when I get in a storm? Where is God when the turbulent days come and the enemy is too big and the task is too great and the future is too bleak and the resources are too scarce and the questions are too many and the answers are are too few? Where is God when I get in a storm? What kind of God do you need? When you get in a storm. Out of all of the events in Jesus' life and ministry, there's only a small handful that are recorded in every one of the Gospels. And this story is one of them. This story teaches us that when you get in a storm you better make sure that you have a God who can see you even when you can't see Him. If you you read this whole sixth chapter of Mark, you get the context of this whole day. Max Lucado says this was the second most stressful day ever in the life of Jesus, second only to the day that He died. It started out early that morning, the disciples come off a ministry trip, they're testifying to Jesus about all the signs, wonders, miracles, people believing in the kingdom, believing in him, Uh, they're celebrating. When all of a sudden a messenger comes in to tell Jesus that his cousin John the Baptist has been beheaded by King Herod. So they're up here emotionally and now they're down here. And no sooner uh, than they get that first message, a second messenger comes uh, with a message from King Herod, the guy that killed John the Baptist, saying, hey, Jesus, I've been hearing about you. Let's do lunch sometime. So now they're afraid Herod's coming after them, just like he did John the Baptist. Meanwhile, the Scripture says in verse 31, there's so many people coming and going for Jesus to minister to them, they can't even eat breakfast. But somewhere along the way, there was a little crack in the crowd, I guess. Jesus gets them in a boat, and they, and they, they go over just a little ways to the east of where they were to a place that today is called Tabgah. And they get off there only to find another prayer line. I mean, it's it's way out there. I mean, I'm talking a prayer line that would give Rod Parsley and Benny Hinn a heart attack. I mean, it's way out there. People everywhere, and they all want Jesus to pray for them and minister to them. So Jesus prayed for them. And there's an incredible verse in Luke 9 in the account of this where it said everybody who had need of healing was healed. Can you imagine what time we would get out of church today if everybody here had every need in your life met in this service here this morning? My hunch is the clock wouldn't matter. Can you imagine being in a service like that? Everybody who needed anything got everything they needed from Jesus that day. By the time he finished doing all of this ministry, the scripture says the day began to wear away. You ever had a day like that? I've had a day like that, a week like that, a month like that. I've actually had a year like that. Day began to wear away. They were running out of daylight and and the disciples, remember, they hadn't eaten breakfast. Now they haven't eaten lunch. That's a problem for a preacher. No breakfast, no lunch. You just as well declare it a fast. So so now they come to Jesus and say, Jesus, you know, these people are hungry. You know, uh, there, there's no Chick-fil-A's here. There, there, there's no Taco Bell's. There's no Cane's uh, uh, chicken Fingers here. Uh, there's no Burger King. Uh, there's no KFCs here. Send them home so they can get something to eat. Translation, Jesus, get these people out of here. We're starving. We need something to eat. Jesus looks at him and said, You're so concerned about them eating. You You feed them. You want us to feed them. The only food we've seen is this little kid over here. He brought a sack lunch with... Five little crusty barley loaves and two smoked fish in it. We can't feed these thousands of people with that. You've heard this story, right? Jesus takes it in his hands. He blesses it. Hands it off to his disciples. Now watch this. It's entirely possible that the miracle didn't happen in Jesus' hands. It happened in the disciples' hands. Who passed out the food? The disciples. Jesus prayed over it, blessed it, gave each of them a piece, and they start walking out through the crowd. They break off a piece of bread, it grows back. They break off another piece, it grows back. They break off a piece of fish, it grows back. They pass out a miracle with their own hands. By now... The sun's starting to go down. They gather up, miraculously, 12 baskets full of leftovers, probably send them home with that little boy. I'd have loved seeing his mama's face. And then Jesus says to these disciples, he said, now boys, we've been trying to get some rest. He said, I want you to get in the boat here. I want you to go over to Bateside. It's about six miles over there on the northeast corner of the lake. You get in the boat, go over there. I'm going to send these people home. I'm going to pray a while. I will meet you over there. Now, there's an interesting word that's used here. In the King James, it says he constrained them to get in the boat. In modern translations, it says he made them get in the boat. He had to make them get in the boat. Could it be all of these boys but one were from Galilee and at least four of them were fishermen? They were used to being out on this lake. And maybe they saw the signs of a storm coming in off the Mediterranean where the wind had come and go through the Arbel Pass and it gets down in that bowl where the Sea of Galilee is and storms come up just like that. And maybe, you know, they're doing this. I don't know what that means. I've just seen people do it. And, and may, maybe, maybe James and John said to Jesus, now Jesus, look, we are We want some rest. We're happy to go over there, but maybe we ought to wait till in the morning. Maybe this is not the best time. No, I need you boys, get in the boat and go over there. Maybe Peter said, yeah, Lord, I, I'm kind of with Jim and John here. Uh, it does, I don't like the looks of those clouds to the west there. Uh, why don't we just wait till I said get in the boat. And then Andrew said, Well, now, Lord, you know, I, I don't often agree with, uh, with my brother Peter, but I, I think it might not be a bad idea if we. I said, Get in the boat. How many of you think it's a good idea to argue with Jesus? Whatever's going on here, Jesus had to make them get in the boat. So they get in the boat, and they start heading in the direction Jesus told them to go. Meanwhile, Jesus sends all the crowds away, and he goes up on the mountain to pray. Meanwhile, the storm those disciples were probably fearing came up. They're out in the middle of the lake. John says they were three miles out in the lake. Where Jesus sent them, they should have just rowed right along the edge of the shore over to Bethsaida. But now they are out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. It's Passover time. There's a full moon, but they can't see it because the storm obscures it. The wind is howling. The rain is pounding if they had a little sail up, they've either had to take it down or it's torn to shreds by now. There's more water coming in than they can bail out. And they're scared to death. And they're left to wonder, why did Jesus send us out in this storm? Why does Jesus let us go through stuff like this? Well, I don't know about you, But after living 61 years and being in ministry since I was 14 years old and going through a whole bunch of stuff, I've come to a conclusion. There are some things God can only teach us when we're in trouble. There are some things that we will only learn when we are made to learn them. Our faith has to be stretched in order for it to develop and deepen and mature. So here's these disciples. Do you see where they're at? They're out in the middle of the lake, but what are they trying to do? They didn't want to do it, but they eventually did. They're just trying to go where Jesus told them to go. They are headed in the direction Jesus told them to go. But the Bible says the wind is against them. So the harder they row, the behinder they get because the wind is pushing against them. And they're scared to death that they're going to die. And they must have started thinking, not only why did Jesus send us out in this, but why didn't He come with us? Why couldn't it be like the last time we were in a storm? He's asleep in the back of the boat. All we got to do is go and wake him up. And he stands up, says, peace be still, and the storm is over. But he didn't do that. He sent us out all by ourselves. We're going to die out here. Where in the world is Jesus when you need him? Where is Jesus when your world gets stormy? when your marriage is in trouble, when your grown kids uh, abandon the faith, uh, when you go to the doctor's office uh, and get a diagnosis that doesn't sound very good, uh, when the job you've had for years that you thought uh, you'd have until you retire, all of a sudden you walk in one day uh, and there's a pink slip uh, in your pay envelope. uh, Where is Jesus when we need Him? You know where Jesus was then? He was in a high place. He was in a high place. And even though they couldn't see him, he saw them. He saw them rowing hard and struggling against the, the wind and the waves. All they're trying to do is go in the direction of obedience, but they can't do it because of the force of the storm. And they think Jesus doesn't know what's going on. But Jesus saw them rowing hard, struggling against the wind and the waves. So where is Jesus when you get in the storm? I got news for you. He's in the same place he was 2,000 years ago, he's in a high place. He's got a perspective that we do not have. He can see things we can't see. He's in a high place. And do you know what he's doing? He's doing the same thing he was doing 2,000 years ago. When he saw these boys, he's praying. Do you know who he's praying for? He's praying for you and you and you because Romans 8.34 says, Christ who died and is risen again is now at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. He says in Hebrews 7.34, 3.25, he always lives to make intercession for us. It says in Hebrews 4.15, we have a high priest uh, that can be touched uh, with the struggles and the pains and the infirmities that we experience in life uh, because he's been through all of it. uh, He understands and therefore uh, we can enter boldly into the throne of grace uh, where we obtain mercy and help in time of need. When you get in a storm, you better make sure you've got a God who can see you. Even when you can't see him. But you see, he he not only sees us in the storm, he also comes to us in the storm. You better make sure you got a God who knows when to show up. Yeah. Now I will confess to you a frustration I have with God, and he and I have had many conversations about this, and he always wins. I wish God would consult my calendar. Have you ever noticed trouble never comes at a convenient time? Pain never comes at a time when the welcome matters. Betrayal, denial is never a welcome guest in our life. It would just be nice if, if we could just space some of this stuff out, God, and get, give us a little breathing room in between these things instead of, you know, we deal with this and then all of a sudden we finally get, get that work through and bam, we get hit again. Or even worse yet, we start dealing with this, and before we get done with this, this gets stacked on it. Before we can deal with these two things, a third thing gets stacked on it. And before long, we feel like we're going to lose our mind. And our soul is crushed inside of us. These disciples must have been feeling that way. Not only why didn't Jesus come with us, why didn't Jesus do something about this and do it now? The Scripture says it's the fourth watch of the night. It's 3 to 6 o'clock in the morning. It's the darkest part of the night. By now, these boys may have been in this boat eight or nine hours. The implication is the storm came up pretty quick after they got out on the lake. So for hours, they've been fighting the storm. They've got to be exhausted. They've been running on adrenaline, and you can only do that so long before your system just starts shutting down. You know, when we get in these kind of places, all we're trying to do is go where Jesus told us to go, right? That's all we're trying to do. Even though we didn't understand it, we may not like it, but, but he told us, and that's all that really matters. He said, go this way, and that way. we're just trying to go that way. And we get in the middle of all this, and we just wonder, is God ever going to show up? Is he, is he ever going to answer our prayer? And all of a sudden, the enemy climbs in the boat with us and starts whispering. You've never been in a storm like this. I know you've been through some stuff. You got through it, but you've never seen one like this. Can you imagine imagine him saying this to Peter, James, John, and Andrew, experienced fishermen? You've seen some storms, boys. You ain't never seen one like this. You're not going to get out of this. This one's bigger than anyone you've ever faced. You're exhausted. You're tired. You're worn out. There's no answer. There's no end. Best thing you can do is just pull those oars in and lay them in the boat and just surrender to the storm. And in just a little while, it'll all be over. It'll all be over. Just about the time the enemy's starting to whisper to them, one of them sees something out on the sea. Wipes the sea spray out of his eyes and looks. He says, Hey, hey, guys, I, I see something out there. It looks like somebody's out there walking on the water. Now, you see, you and I are all excited because we know the end of the story. They weren't excited because all of these boys had been trained from the time they were little guys. If you're ever out in a boat on the Sea of Galilee and you get in a storm, and you think you see something that looks like somebody standing or walking on the water, it is a sign from God you are going to die. The storm is bad enough, but now they've received what they consider to be a confirmation. It's all over. They're going to die. They're not going to survive the storm. And then, at some point maybe, one of them, you know, as the specter approaches and gets a little closer, they say, you know, I think I, I think I recognize that walk. He looks familiar. He looks familiar. And maybe he reaches out over the edge of the boat, wipes all the rain out of his face and looks real close. And then his eyes get real big. And he turns around uh, to the other guys and said, hey, hey, I I think, I think that's Jesus out there on the water. I think that's Jesus out there. He's headed this way. I think, I think that's Jesus. Uh, I recognize his walking. and now, now they're all looking uh, and they're all realizing, hey, it is Jesus. Uh, it is Jesus. Uh, he's walking uh, on the water. He's walking on the water. He he's headed uh, toward us. Let me tell you something. God may not consult your calendar the way you think He does, but He knows everything's on your calendar. He may not call you. He may not tip you off. Uh, you may not have any warning signs, uh, but you are the apple of His eye. He's got you on His radar screen 24-7. He knows everything that touches your life. It touches His heart first. You are never alone. You are never out of His sight. You are never out of His reach. And He knows exactly when to show up. He comes walking on top of your worries. He comes saying, The waves that are over your head are under my feet. He comes quoting verses like, Like Psalm 31 and 15 where it says, your times, plural, your times. Your good times, your bad times. Your plentiful times, your scarce times. Your healthy times, your sick times. Your up times, your down times. Your bright times and your dark times. He says all of your times are in my hands and I will deliver you out of the hand of your enemies. You and I would love for him to always do it at the snap of our fingers, but it doesn't always work that way. But I promise you from the day you're born until the day you die or Jesus comes, you are never out of his sight. He always knows where you're at, and he knows when to show up. There's one more very important thing. I'm so glad... I'm so glad He sees us even when we can't see Him. And I'm glad He knows when to show up. And I've seen it happen over over and over and over and over and over and over again. But I'm also glad that until, until I get out of the storm, I serve a God who is able to take the storm out of me and you even before he takes us out of the storm. Do you see? Do you see here where the scripture says when they first saw the specter, the ghost? You see the words that the scripture says they cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. This word for cried out means a deep throated shriek of horror. I mean a blood curdling scream. And this word terrify it's a Greek word it called we would pronounce it terasso. terasso it means extreme inward commotion come here my friend you got any back problems you do no you like roller coasters you do you ever seen one you wouldn't ride the spinny upside down kind okay so we're not going to ride that we we, we, but will you, you like the ones that go like this and like this and like this. Jesus heal his mind. Let's, let's say my good friend Rob and I decide to go to the Kentucky Kingdom or over to Cedar Point or, or down to Dollywood or I take him out to California, you know, to some of them big roller coasters out there. Now, I don't, I don't do roller coasters. Did you call your overseer a sissy? I did. I don't do that. Now, my wife, she'll ride in. but not me. But let's let's just say I get the faith up and we go do it. And we get there, we are the first people through the gate, and we head straight to the meanest, baddest roller coaster in the whole place. And we are the first people on. We get in that front car. Well, you and I might not fit in both that front car. We might have to get... Yeah, you know it's true. So anyway, we get right in front, and we get to riding that roller coaster. You ready to go? All right, so we ride the roller coaster, and we go down, and we go around, and we go up, and we go down, and we get back, and we say, don't step on my foot now. And then, then we say, let's do it again. And so we, get, we just stay on it, and we do this. We do this all day long. We were the first person on it. Yeah, I know what you just did. We were the first person on it and the last people off it. When Charles and Rob get off that roller coaster, we will have Tarasso. We are totally disoriented. We, we don't know which end is up, which end is down. And the last thing we want is anything to eat. <laughs> Sit down. You're an uncooperative person. <laughs> Watch this. See, the storm's going to jostle you around. before long, the storm that's out here is going to move in here. All the stuff that's happening out here is going to move in here. So here's the disciples. They've seen Jesus. They've recognized Him. They identify with Him. Jesus is coming. He's here. Has the storm stopped? No. Jesus not only comes, he speaks. He says to them, Cheer up! It's me. Don't be afraid. Cheer up! I'm here. Don't be afraid. I ask you the question Where is Jesus when he says these words? Is he in the boat? No. Has the storm stopped? No. Jesus. I believe there's a little Texan in Jesus. I think he just lassoed a wave is riding it like a bucking bronco. Says, cheer up, boys, I'm here. Don't be afraid. Jesus speaks not to the storm in this case, but in the storm. And while the waves are still rolling and the weight, and the lightning's still crashing and flashing and, and, the, and the boat is almost sinking, Jesus speaks to them. And with those words, "Take courage, it's me, don't be afraid." He reaches into their heart, and he takes the storm out of them even before He takes them out of the storm. You see, the storm will attack your faith. The storm will do all kinds of stuff. Do you notice this little verse at the end? It's like it doesn't fit. After it's all over and the storm's over and Jesus has stilled it all and they're safe on dry ground, all of a sudden it says... uh, that they did not understand the miracle of the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Twelve hours later, they passed out a miracle, one of the most incredible miracles Jesus ever did. They passed out a miracle with their own hands, and twelve hours later, their faith was stretched to the breaking point because of this storm. They had just remembered who multiplied the loaves and the fishes and put a miracle in their hands that they saw manifested. They they have just realized that. They just might have realized when they first laid eyes on him out there, it's all okay. Jesus saw us. Yeah, the wind's blowing, and yeah, the waves are rocking the boat, but it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I don't know what's going on in your life today. Maybe there's a storm raging in your life. Maybe the Lord arranged for me to come by and share this message just for you today because He wanted to let you know when you can't see Him, He sees you. And when you think he's never going to show up, be confident he's on his way. He may just be working on a different time, time schedule than yours, but his is always the right time. And when he comes, he's going to have the right thing to say to you. He's going to minister to you even before you get through the storm. His word is going to come alive in you to bring faith and encouragement and help and wholeness to you. I'm going to ask Alice to come down to the piano. I want to give your musicians a, a break this morning. Sometimes people ask me if I miss pastoring. I confess to you, there's some things about pastoring I do not miss. Just like I can assure you, when I stop being an overseer, there's going to be several things I will not miss. But I'll tell you when I miss pastoring the most it's on Sunday morning. When after that week, I would spend all day Thursday. And half the day Friday, preparing. And then I had a very early Sunday morning routine, putting final touches on things. Now, I remember for many years I was an itinerant. I was an evangelist, then I was a youth director, and I was preaching in different churches everywhere. And I made a decision, and I chose to get out of that work. I could have stayed in and probably never been a pastor. But there was a pastor inside of me dying to get out. And I remember all those Thursdays I would I would labor and pray and try to prepare to share a word with the people who called me pastor. And on Sunday mornings, I had a little routine. I did it every Sunday morning. I would sit in the floor of my study, and I would put my Bible here, and I would put our pictorial church directory here, and I'd lay my message notes in the middle, and I would pray. And I would ask the whole, I would ask God to allow the Holy Spirit to help me bring the people of God that I held in this hand and the word of God I held in this hand into a life-changing encounter with Him. I'm not your pastor. I don't know you like this man and this woman does. They know you intimately well. They know your hurts, your wounds, your challenges. But even they don't know everything. They don't see everything. But there's somebody up in a high place today who sees you. Knows exactly what's going on. He's coming to you. And he wants you to hear these words. He speaks to you from the storm. Take courage. It's me. Don't be afraid. You're not alone in this storm. I'm in it with you. I want you to stand with me, please. Now I'm not sure what your custom is here today. Here at Spirit Life, you know, I don't know if you have elders or altar workers or whatever, but I'm just going to do this the way I feel led to do it. If you're here this morning, and this message hits right where you are right now, you're in the middle of a storm, I don't care what it is, I just, I want to ask you, would you please, would you just step out of your seat and come down here with me? We want to pray together with you. Come on, come on. If you're younger, if you're older, if you're a man, if you're a woman, you're married, if you're single, come on.